0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is Dr. Mark Shapiro. My guest is Dr. Ricardo Nuila, who is a hospitalist uh, on faculty at uh, Ben Taub Hospital in Houston, Texas, uh, part of the uh, Baylor College of Medicine, uh, where actually I went to medical school as well. And I got to do a, a significant part of my training there. So we have some common ground. If you listen to part one, we talked a lot about uh, Dr. Nuila's article that popped up in The Atlantic uh, called um, – whose job is it to talk to patients about death? And we, we brought this to a part two so we can continue our conversation. Definitely check out part one. Uh, but we're going to kind of get back into where we left off. We were talking about this issue of courage and clarity. Um, and this is, this is a difficult spot for anyone to be in, in that moment where it, this isn't just medicine, where you know yeah. something to be true um, or at least believe something to be true. But, it's a pretty big ask to put it out there. There was, a, there was yeah. a great Seinfeld episode where George wanted to tell a woman that he loved her. And Jerry asked him if you're going to get the I love you return. And he said, you know, if you say I love you and you don't get the I love you return. That's a pretty that's, big matzo ball. <laughs> that's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. Yeah. If you it's walk a great- into a patient's room and you have this conversation and you tell the family, you know what? I, I, it looks to me like you're dying. And they don't buy in or it doesn't land correctly, that is a big matzo ball hanging out there. You, you know, that is a tough spot to be in. And so that's sort of where we are with this. I think that you had also talked a little bit in part one about the demand from the public and the need from the public. That's absolutely growing. Um, I yeah. think that there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think people are – their expectations for how this is handled – are becoming more sophisticated. Um, the people are more engaged and more thoughtful, as they absolutely should be. Um, I think we can give a lot of credit to to pieces um, written by people like Atul Gawande, um, the the PBS special that spun off of that. I think that all of those things are really, really important drivers of this. When this stuff crosses over to the mainstream, I think your article is going to be part of it. There's a lot of people that read The Atlantic. This article is going to get some play. Um, it's just going to increase that so where do we then help my, me? I mean, I do this every day. You do this every day. Where do we build these resources so that we can be courageous?
1: Well, I, th- I mean, one of the things that um, at this meeting in Chicago that I attended, which was focused on how to improve end-of-life care, um, the focus was on hospitalists. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's, there's a lot of good reasons for that, because I think that you know, modern, in, in, in our modern medical system, uh, people come to the hospital when they're, when they're in trouble, when they need help, when they're, when they're dying. And I think that the hospitalist can bear a lot of responsibility for what we're, what we're calling primary palliative care, which is to identify people who are, um, who are in the process of dying, to talk with them about it. Um, to 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 discuss what are the goals of care and that's one of the biggest things I think is is really discussions just to get a sense from the patients what are their goals when these things when 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 um, when death is really on the horizon at least death as perceived by the, by by the doctor you know as by the by the medical system um, what I mean by that is is that when 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 something clues the hospitalist into saying to himself or herself, you know, this patient is not doing well. This patient, you know, might might be dying. I think that that just should engender a response to talk about these issues. And um, and I think that this, that's why, you know, that's why I've written in the article that the um, that the changes that Medicare has proposed I think will be will be influential and I think that there are good changes which is that Medicare will be reimbursing doctors for the or and other professionals too anybody else on the team who wants to talk to patients about these for um for end of life uh, care discussions and uh, advanced planning for uh for death and I think that that just puts it out there for people to say okay you know we can you know we I think that there's just always been a part of the reason why 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 people don't engage these conversations is because they know that how long it takes uh, to be right, to right. be precise with your language how long it takes to uh to really delve into these issues and so um and so I think that now uh, people uh, professionals will think okay i can I can use my time well mm-hmm. so
0: that that is the one part of this where um I do have a little bit of discomfort and the idea of um, this becoming something, not that doctors and, and, and healthcare professionals shouldn't be able to, you know, bill properly for the work that they do, but I think that, look, look Medicare has very limited tools in the way that they can encourage us to do things that they want yeah. us to do. But I think that making this conversation, making it grow in terms of frequency and depth by making yeah. it transactional, I think is a very slippery slope. I think that the way that that would be viewed through a prism outside of healthcare would not be favorable. Um, I think it plays into a lot of people's fears uh, around what are the motivations of the facility, of the physician, of the nurse, of the whomever, starting this conversation with me. Um, I I don't have a better idea in mind, but I think that – uh, having that be the, the guiding light for why we're doing this, having it be transactional, that, that raises a, a few red flags for me. Um, I don't think it's a great place for this to start from, I, not only from the perspective of uh, people outside of healthcare, but I think it sends a really mixed message to our learners. That when someone is coming up and they're thinking, okay, I want to do this because it's the right thing to do, as opposed to this is something that's going to change our margin, um, I, I think it's really tricky, and I think that we, you know, not you necessarily, you and I, we're not the ones that make yeah. this decision. But I think that those who have executed that decision, chosen the language around it, I, I think that they may look back on that and think that that may not have been the right way to go. That said, that you have to start somewhere. There's no question; you have to start somewhere. But that one makes me a little concerned. It
1: makes it, You know, I'm I'm a little bit concerned too about it. I am because, um, like you like like you alluded to we might be incentivizing people who with poor communication skills that's it to to have these discussions um you know and i don't know i don't know what to do about that because i guess the you know if i put on my economics mind and i'm not an economist by any means or anything but you know people do work by incentives right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so i i think to myself yeah i can see how there was no incentive to have these discussions before and now people will start to have them and, and, and but then the optimistic side takes off and says, Well, hopefully people will have good conversations and hopefully we can train people on how to have these good conversations. Mm-hmm. But I think but I think you're right, in the wrong hands, this can this can be this can be detrimental.
0: I think you can peg it to I mean, I think there are other incentives. I think there are other ways to motivate physicians, nurses, etc. I don't like to just single out physicians. I, I want to yeah, include yeah, everybody on the healthcare team, right? Um, because a lot of this is going to be done by, you know, a nurse from hospice or right. an expert in palliative care who's not a physician. There's there's lots of people that are involved in this. So it's not just the docs. Right, um, exactly. That being said, I think that there are other ways to incentivize it that are non-transactional. I think you can, at an organizational level or at an entity level or from Medicare, say this is something that's important. This is, you incentivize by giving people a sense of shared purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know, you, you look at the drivers of success and it's that sense of being part of something bigger than yourself. I think you could have, it could be incentivized that way. That this is something that's really important. We have an aging population. This is a question we haven't dealt with. This is a way we we as a community of of healthcare providers can really serve the people around us. That sense of shared purpose, uh, idea, connectivity. I wonder if that may have been a little bit easier than the the sort of more transactional, tra- yeah. transactional, and, and, and maybe a little bit boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, Medicare guideline, you know, again, it's, they have set su- they have very limited tools. And I don't mean this as a criticism of that decision, right. but there are ways that I think you could excite people around this, uh, more than saying, okay, you now you can bill for it. like, all right, that doesn't change anything. It's still hard. It's still scary. I still don't right. understand how to do it or why to do it or when to do it. Um, and I don't want to just spend this wailing away on this principle. I think it's important because it does at least start that conversation. But right. I think there are powerful incentives out there to get people to really engage with this. Uh, who cares about whether you can bill a little bit extra for it? It doesn't make any difference. It, the difference is whether you can help someone and serve them so yeah. that as they move forward in the last phase of their life, however long it may be, it can be the one that, that you know they can exercise their right of self-determination.
1: No, I, I I agree with that. I mean, I I I think you're right. Medicare doesn't have that many tools. Um, the most powerful of them is to is this transactional nature, yeah. and they are the sort of the gatekeeper for me- American medicine. If you know, if they say you know it should be done like this, or that we're gonna that we're gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna reimburse for this, then I think a lot of the insurers look at that so you know there's been guidelines that have put up you know people have put guidelines out there there's just even the world of guidelines is just so such a mishmash of different interests mm-hmm. you know it's it's hard to to have like one unifying voice say we want physicians and other uh medical team members to start talking with patients about this um so that's why for me, I, th- I think that even though it's transactional, even though it does have its problems, I tend to look at it as it's a potential benefit outweighs the risk in my you know, sure. medical no, lingo. That's,
0: that's but, fair. And I think just the fact that it started that conversation is important right. because it gets that motor turning. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of why they did it. Like, hey, let's just get something out there. Yeah, let's get, yeah, let's yeah. light a fire. You know, let's start, let's, let's pick a fight, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let, let's get some editorials happening. Let's get, you know, that's at least it gets people talking about it and that's fair. Um, so as we move forward, though, I want to, it's such a huge topic of, of when to have these conversations. Let's hone in on ground that you and I share. We're both hospitalists mm-hmm. and you mentioned, you know, being in the hospital that this comes up a lot and you mentioned in the piece uh, there, I, I love this piece and I like honing it. There's a couple things that really jumped out at me. There's one part that I think answers in, in large part, whose job is it? You've, you put a, a single clause in a sentence about what is a hospitalist. You said as a hospitalist, the doctor in charge of orchestrating care, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That is what a hospitalist does. People still ask, yeah. Hey, what is, so what is a hospitalist? And I'll say, you know, I'm, I, I trained in internal medicine and in the hospital, I'm sort of the quarterback, or some some right. some permutation of that of what you wrote. But you know what? I do think a lot of this will fall on those who practice hospital medicine, and I love that. I love it. It's a great challenge. It's fun. It's exciting. Um, fun is. I, I, let me clarify that. It's not necessarily fun, but it's it's exhilarating. It um, is
1: exhilarating, and it's 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 the way that. I don't know. I think you want to practice medicine like that in the sense that you're um, you're active. Yes. You know that you're that you are thinking about things about how to improve. You know the care of this patient, but you're also thinking about systems. It's it's all coming together. So if a patient arrives in the emergency room and the emergency doctors say that this patient needs to stay in the hospital you're thinking on multiple levels you're thinking you know how am i going to maximize the benefit for this
0: patient mm-hmm. you know uh, mm-hmm. and and i mean
1: i'm i don't talk like this to patients so even though i'm saying it like this i don't talk like this to right, them. right 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 but,
0: but what we'll do is we'll try and so so first of all the hospital is a very difficult place to have these conversations if they've never yeah. had if they've never taken place before because oftentimes someone is getting a diagnosis that they're hearing for the first time or they're critically ill or the family isn't all there or they're not, there's any number of things that make it tough, but you still, you have to forge on and you have to, that's how you build your common ground and, and say, okay, this is where we're starting from. This is the phase of your care that we're in. This is what we're working on now. And this is how I would suggest moving forward, but you know, kind of teasing out goals, um, it's a tremendous challenge, but it's it's a very, very rewarding one because you have so many resources at hand in the hospital as well, mm-hmm. um, that it can be a very exciting place where you really can be of service. You're not going to, you know, it's not the same as someone's having an MI and you, you know, yeah. take them to the cath lab and open up their artery, but it's helping someone say, you know what, I don't want to be admitted to the hospital. I'm, right. I am short of breath, but get me out of here and saying, exactly. yeah, let's do that. Let's figure out a way that we can do that. And that 's equally rewarding and it, and it can happen at a tremendous frequency once people become comfortable and facile with that idea on both sides of the equation. people coming to the hospital and people who are in the hospital to provide care
1: yeah i mean i I, I enjoy the job tremendously because of that of, of, of exactly what 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 you 're saying, which is the appreciation of nuance in patients presentations,
0: you know the appreciation that it's a perfect way to put it. The appreciation of nuance, I like that really, a lot.
1: Really, really, but it, that's exactly why I, I love the job. Is yeah. because um, you just—it's—it's it's the greatest opportunity to be able to 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 take a presenting symptom, to mix it with the complexity of that person's story, and to come up with different solutions that aren't you know obvious. Like like the example that you gave of a of a. Um, of a, of an acute uh, myocardial infarction of a heart attack, right? Um, you know, to all respect to cardiologists, I love cardiology, but there's certain you know there's technical distinctions on how you can do things, you know. But but if if it's a if it's a closed artery, you open it up or or you make or or you or you, or you decide not to because you can't, you know. But but in 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 hospital medicine there is it's not technical as much as it is um based on everybody's different you know walk of life who they are the complexity of being human collides with with medicine with 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 path, with pathophysiology and so you have to come up with creative solutions so sometimes it is the case that you just say you know it's better for you just to go home right now because there's nothing much that the hospital can offer or I can get you a clinic appointment or no I really need you to stay in the hospital and this is why and and the onus is on me to explain to you why I think that it's better given all of what you've told me about yourself to stay in the hospital and to and and, and, and to undergo the care and you also have to take into mind all those permutations of the complexity of like you know that the that the hospital can be a, a a risky environment for some people, it it, 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 you know, the, some, some people really don't benefit from being in the hospital. So I don't know. I just love that. So I'm glad that you, you mentioned that because I just really like all that complexity as it, as it manifests in people's lives, you know, not, not in their, not in their necessary physical, like in their, in, in their condition as much as in like their lives. You think about that.
0: So, yeah. so that if you were, you're the dean of a medical school you're you're you have a you have a startup whatever it may be and you have a a, a infinite budget you have all the money you would want if you were going to target one specific corner of people providing healthcare to make them excellent at this stuff to make them comfortable with the language to make them feel supported so that they can have these difficult conversations and Be okay about saying, here's what I think. And it looks like you may be dying or it looks like you have a really serious illness and we need to talk about goals of care or something like that. What would be that specialty or cohort of people that you would want to target? I know what mine would be. I've kind of preloaded this a little bit. Yeah. Who who would you target? Who do you think can have the widest ranging impact? um, Well, starting in a week, I'm
1: biased
0: and I've been in the hospital the
1: last, you know, weeks, you know, Working this, but I would say emergency room doctors are are one of the the top because they they're sort of the gatekeepers to the hospital, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so and and I think that that's not it's not necessarily fair to put the onus all on emergency room physicians. Uh, but I do think that they that the way that they um, look at things is not really conducive to having these con- type of conversations. Maybe 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 there is a, a different. Sort of physician that's not an emergency room doctor and not a hospitalist, but is like somewhat you know, that's a combination of the two that can really help out because because I think that the first impressions of, from by by patients really make a difference, and it's also the you know it's the emergency room doctor really does set the stage for what the care is going to be from there from then on you know um i think that that's one group that i would target for communication and for how you know how to be able to um think about patients in in, in more complex manners than just their um presenting symptom but I, I think um you know i think hospitalists, i think oncologists i i mean i i deal a lot with um with oncologists and I think that there's also that that's also a specialty that's very systematized about, you know, um, about therapy, which is that, well, this chemotherapy doesn't work. Let's go to the next one. It, and, and, and people fit into the, um, the chemotherapy according to X, Y, Z, um, rather than, you know, than, than, than more of a holistic kind of view on, on the patient. And and again, I'm, I'm completely biased about that. I mean, this is based on my interactions. Who are you, who are you going to say?
0: I'm with you on all of the things that you said, but I think far and above, uh, in terms of one group, it's us, it's hospital medicine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I'm saying that I, I totally think that hospital medicine needs to be the quarterback with regard to that, you know? Um, but it's just hard because, um, I it's it's hard for hospital medicine doctors to take that role because I don't know how much support they have as the quarterbacks. I think that things are going to change. You know, yeah. yeah. I, I think that it seems like that the new trend is to give more, um, more. You know, if we're going to take this analogy further, like play calling capacity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, to to hospitalists, but. But I, I think that in so many regard in so many places, you know the hospitalists are kind of um, secondary to the to the specialists, and that's one of the things that we've talked about a lot. Yeah, we,
0: I, I think we, that's the skill set though that we need to develop that we get better at it because I don't think that specialty training provides focused um, you know focused skill sets sort of in that discipline, and I think that hospitalists are positioned. You know, we talk about who's going to be the quarterback. I think the way that that would interpret that that sort of evolves in the hospital is who's going to help with shared decision-making, who's yeah. going to be the one that, that does that. It's us. I mean, we're yeah, there all yeah, day, yeah. every day, you know, the family, we round in the morning, the family shows up in the afternoon, we're around to come back and meet with everyone or have a conference call. The specialist may not be, um, we're at least well versed enough to say, I can talk about subject X, but Hey, you know what? To go a lot, to go further, I will need the, the oncologist or the cardiologist. And let me help you get that meet. Let's help get that meeting set up. Yeah, together. Yeah. yeah. No, um, that's
1: definitely – I think when, it's, when, when you're clicking on all cylinders, yeah. that's exactly how the hospitalists should, should work. A- and, and that's uh, the point
0: is, is how do we get it so that we're clicking on all cylinders, look, we're never going to be perfect. But yeah. how do we get it so that the hospitalists, which, look, it's the fastest growing specialty in the history of medicine, yeah. that we're clicking on all cylinders, not just in terms of, like you say, the algorithm, right, selecting the right antibiotic for community-acquired pneumonia, and right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do we get it that we're clicking on all cylinders so that when we meet a patient, we're addressing code status, we're talking about, you know, goals of care, not just for the critically ill patient, but for everyone that comes in the hospital to at least get that conversation moving um, how do we get that happening every single time? Because if that is happening, that is that is changing care on a population level. That's changing people. That, that's planting ideas across the country.
1: I, I think that we just have to go out and and, and do it yeah. um, to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah. Like we just have to kind of recognize that that's the that's the role. Yeah. And as hospitalists say, like this is our our job is um, to communicate with the patient very effectively. It, our job is. Is to uh, kind of be in those conversations as a sometimes as a mediator between different specialties. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, that's fair. To, re- to really kind of take um, what what are the options and put it into a way that patients can understand what their options are and to decide for themselves mm-hmm. about about what those are. You know, I think I think you're right about that. I should I probably should have said hospital. <laughs>
0: you know, I, I, I have said No, hospital. no, no. You, you don't have to say, you know, that's why we have to have the conversation. I'm I'm not necessarily right. I just have no, my own opinion. But,
1: but you've convinced me you've convinced me, you've convinced me. I mean I just you know, I, I I think all I think part of being a doctor though is to be able to communicate
0: with patients. Well, and no, so, so that's I, a really important s- point. And I think you're right about that. That let's say hospitalists do in fifteen years, we're really good at this and, and there's fellowships in it, and it's just we're affecting care on a national level. That does not absolve the rest of those problems right? Care. Exactly,
1: and and that's why that's yeah. why sort of to me it was it was kind of like well if we focus on hospice then we neglect that's a, other
0: yeah. I guess other, it, it shouldn't be a zero sum gain if we're gonna right. have this discussion let's qualify it by saying everyone else still has to learn it too because that's just part of being a good doctor and it's part of just being a good person
1: and it's just part of being a good person and that's there's nothing special about being I mean there I mean I, I take a lot of pride in my in my work, right? Yeah, but yeah. I don't necessarily think that it's like the most special thing in the world only because I think that, you know, it's just I just see it like as being a good person, yeah. you know, in, in a in a technical expertise, you mm-hmm. know, and, and so I, I would see it just the way that um you know, when I go and and get my my car fixed at the mechanic, I want a really good mechanic who explains things to me. And there are great mechanics out there yep, sure. who can who can do that. And 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 I feel so much better coming out of that. Uh, of. Of that interaction, thinking to myself, "Wow, you know, I learned a little bit about cars, and I know that this person was being honest with me." You know, when 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 it happens like that, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so to me, it's it's like that's what we should be doing. You yeah, know, yeah. like that's it's just being a good person. It's good. It's being thoughtful. It's just being a good member of society. Yeah, you know, yeah. so
0: I, I agree. And, and you know what happens too is that I, I, you've had these experiences. I, I've had these experiences. I think so many people have had the experience that when this works. It's so it's powerful, cool. oh yeah, um, oh. you know, and I can speak from a personal level you know within our family we've we've had you know a family member who who needed a hospitalist who could really step up and say here's what's going on, and this is what I am seeing, and let's get some let's get some perspective around that and let's start making some some tough co- let's have tough conversations and make some tough decisions and it's man, in that moment that's what you need it's awful yeah. it's awful it will never not be awful, but yeah it makes it, it you just feel like you're you just feel like you're part of something larger when you have someone like you say just being just being nice in what? that moment just being there and communicating clearly and not not muddying the water with really complicated jargon um and just saying this is this is how we go forward and here here's here's a different path here's a path we can look at that I think would really, really help you guys and really, really serve, serve, serve you. And it's it's amazing stuff when it when it comes together like that. The flip side, and again, I'm just gonna dig into your article one last time. Yeah, sure. You talk about your patient, how when it doesn't happen, um it's near the end of the article. You it was just it was two words that he endured awfulness. Yeah. And I read that and I just I, I I sank a little bit because I'm like, boy. I, you know, I've been, I've been at this for a while, and we try to be good at it, but we're not perfect. And we're not perfect. Yeah, that's the part that we want to avoid. We want to help other human beings avoid enduring awfulness. And and I, that's it, it that's took what stones it, for you to write that to just say. I mean, just to say that I think it was brave. Um, but that's what we're here for: is to help people avoid enduring awfulness. I, I
1: you know I I don't know why I just didn't really just came out naturally that, 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 because I just was thinking about what had happened with him. But I guess you're right. I mean, enduring awfulness is just, you just, there's two paths. And and there's one path that you feel like if you're the right person at the right time, you can, you can veer people away from that awfulness. If you, if you're, if you're right-minded, if you're, if you're thoughtful, if you're compassionate, caring, um, and if you can communicate things well. Um, and you
0: don't have to be a doctor to do it. You don't have to be a
1: doctor to do it. You it could be, be anybody. A, you can be. It could be anybody. Yep. It could. And and the problem is, is that it's just. There's just so many mixed signals mm-hmm. for 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 some of these patients. There's just so many. Um, and 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 you know, I think the most difficult part of these conversations is being able to communicate something that's clear without taking away hope, right? Because yep. yep. I think that a lot of people. When they when they first hear about you know end of life discussions, you know they'll they'll hear about um, you know th- they'll think to themselves or they'll say you know you're taking away the patient's hope and that that is there is a delicacy to that mm-hmm. there is a there's a mindset to go into those conversations that you learn from from having a lot of these conversations that you can still give pretty. Difficult news without stripping away hope from patients.
0: Um, I, I hope that uh, I hope you write more. Um, I, I think this article is is a is a very important step in a dialogue that reaches everybody. And um, I'm delighted that you wrote it, and I'm so happy that you came on to have this conversation. The next time you write something, please come back and we'll talk about that. Um, this is an important conversation, and I'm really glad that we got to at least have this small bite into a big problem um, and, and share some ideas. So I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, thank you for writing the article. We'll definitely post a link to it uh, on the website. Uh, so please, if you're listening, definitely check out the article uh, from The Atlantic by Dr. Nwila, uh entitled, Whose Job Is It to Talk to Patients About Death? And Ricardo, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing conversation and uh, hope to have you back soon. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.